This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. One of the first people that Donald Trump nominated for his candidate, uh, for his cabinet, excuse me, was Betsy DeVos for education secretary. That news had many people in and around the public school systems in this country worried because of her history of supporting voucher programs. Certainly the growth of charter schools have made it even harder for publics to be successful. And the fact that the that school systems are running at big deficits, like here in Philadelphia, in Chicago, and a few other cities, does not help the cause. So what would education look like in the future, especially in the public schools? Michael Johannick is a senior fellow at Penn's Graduate School of Education. He is also co-director of the Inter-American Educational Leadership Network. He joins us on the phone. Also joining us, Rebecca Jacobson, Associate Professor of Education Politics and Policy at Michigan State University. Michael, Rebecca, happy Friday to you. Great to have you both joining us. Thanks so much for having us. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, Michael, there certainly seems to be a pattern where I, I would see the public schools not happy by this possible nomination. Um, certainly what, what we're hearing, yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is, but clearly uh, President-elect Trump was going to move in a direction toward more uh, uh, varieties of school choice and charters and vouchers and so forth. So in that sense, I guess it was not a, not a huge surprise. I think what uh, has people probably most concerned is the question about how much that uh, uh, the new secretary will be guided by evidence around how you design those things. Right. Um, so, Rebecca? Yes, I think that the education community is concerned about what this will mean for our system of public education and whether or not we're, we're in some ways, you know, ultimately abandoning the idea of a, a public education system as it becomes increasingly privatized. If you look at the public school system right now, uh, and obviously you have to take it, I think, Rebecca, on a case-by-case basis, where are we right now? Because it feels like there is so much room for improvement right now. Certainly. There's always room for improvement. Our you know, public education system, though, has been charged with a tremendous task. Uh, we, as a, a country, tend to force our schools to solve all of the problems of social inequality rather than looking more broadly at some of the other policy levers that we also have that would impact educational opportunity and educational attainment. Um, so, yes, schools can definitely do more, um, but I think we're really in an era where we only focus on schooling. Michael? No, I agree. I think it's, uh, you know, the U.S. is unusual historically that way. We decided that we moved earlier into providing common schooling, and we ended up using it as a vehicle for social policy, where a lot of other countries that we normally refer to as sort of those who, with whom we compete on educational achievement and so forth. But I'm not sure that's the right framing. Um, but a lot of those countries have a different history and, and address those kinds of social issues that Rebecca mentioned uh, in other institutions. Um, and that's complicated what it is that we hold these institutions accountable for. How much have you seen the impact, Michael, from, from charter schools? And I'll take Philadelphia as an example, since we both are here. Uh, and, and Rebecca, you can uh, talk about it on the Michigan perspective, because from what I understand, it's it's important in that, uh, in that region of the country as well. But how much of an impact have the charter schools here in Philadelphia have made? Well, I think it's, I mean, uh, I'm actually a New Yorker, so I'm a little bit closer okay. here as well. But, but the, uh, I mean, I think it's certainly been 
I mean, the overall underfunding that you that has existed for Philadelphia, it seems to me, has been the, the large driver. Uh, I mean, you've got a large system underfunded and really without local control for some time now. Um, so charters being able to come in and, and, and have leeway are not really operating always on the same uh, with the same ground rules. And I think that's been the, the, the challenge. I think where we've seen areas that have tried to regulate the charter market in a way that is balances both the private and kind of public goals that we have for education. I think that's where it seems to me the direction that could be promising. Um, but I think right now it's just seen as an unlevel un- un- playing field uh, that's not been serving the public ends that we really want for, for education. And overall, we're not seeing any kind of huge bump in achievement. And uh, usually uh, um, the same kind of variance that we're seeing across public schools. Rebecca, what's it like there in Michigan? And obviously part of this is because uh, Ms. DeVos, Mrs. DeVos is from that, uh, that part of the country. Certainly. And I, I think it is important to keep in mind that, you know, when we talk about the impact of charter schools, it varies tremendously um, across locations. So state right. law dictates that charters are organized and governed in very different ways. So in a, a place like Michigan, where there are many authorizers um, with very little oversight and accountability, um, we're unfortunately seeing sometimes the worst of choice. Uh, we find that there are schools that are failing but are continued to perpetuate, and not only continuing to perpetuate but continuing to replicate and further expand, even though they have not proven uh, themselves successful. So, you know, one of the key things that I'd like to echo that, you know, we just heard was that governance is really important. There needs to be some sort of oversight. And in a place like New Orleans where there has been a concerted effort to think about how can we organize our schools so that they're reaching all of our students, uh, we are seeing some improvement. So charter schools can be have a positive impact. They can also have a real negative impact. We are joined on the phone by Rebecca Jacobson uh, from Michigan State University, Michael Johannick from the University of Pennsylvania. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Michael, I apologize. I think I cut you off there. Go ahead. No, 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 it's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, we, your comments again at 844-942-7866, or if you can't get to your phone, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, uh, Rebecca, I guess uh, go more into the kind of the reputation that Ms. DeVos has there in the state of Michigan, because uh, th- that, I think, uh, potentially kind of opens the door and could open some eyes as to what we may see if she is, uh, if she is approved for that nomination. Certainly. I think that we have seen um, Ms. DeVos and some of the groups that she has worked with, some of the advocacy organizations that have worked in the state of Michigan and lobbied the, the state legislature to really keep regulation to a bare minimum. Um, and as a result, we have been sometimes called the Wild West or the Wild Midwest um, because of the way that charters are sort of operating in a, a free-for-all sort of fashion in many ways. Um, the other thing that we see here in Michigan is uh, for-profit charters. We have a much larger share of for, for-profit charters than almost anywhere else. And, you know, that's a very different sort of step in thinking about what our public education system looks like. The other thing I would add is that um, I think Ms. DeVos and certainly uh, President-elect Trump have talked about the role of vouchers to private schools and providing those for low-income students. And I think that we need to think really carefully about what that will look like uh, when we move into the private sector, 
who no longer have to accept all students. And when that's the case, who's left behind for the public system to educate? Are they the most needy, uh, the most resource uh, are required to educate them properly, and yet the system will be drained of resources? And, and so I do worry about a real bifurcation there. Michael, what about the idea that education in general, with the way the economy is, has shifted to a degree, and we're seeing more automation, and obviously we're seeing uh, us being connected more on a digital nature, about some of the things that may need to be added to the education process for kids that are coming up through grade school and into high school to prepare them better for college. What about making those changes? Well, I, I think that's probably something that crosses all sorts of institutional forms. I think people feel that that need, and it's probably less about adding than about changing the ways in which we uh, in which we do schooling, if you will. Uh, we've got all sorts of ways in which kids are getting educated these days in and around schools uh, and figuring out how we leverage those to the benefit of what we want to have going on. Um, it's really, a, they're in a very educationally rich environment that we often uh, ask them to put at the door when they come into schools. Um, but I wanted to return to this notion, too, that I think that uh, Rebecca mentioned in terms of the vouchers and such. I mean, yeah. these are, these are not, none of these are really terribly new concepts. We've had ideas of parental choice in schools, in public and private kinds of institutions for centuries. Uh, vouchers have come out of the left and come out of the right. The design of those, it seems to me, if we're going to balance private and public goals so that we don't end up with this uh, segregation uh, further um, aggravated, uh, you know, I do a good uh, bit of work in Chile, and Chile's had a long standing decades worth of voucher experience. Um, and while arguably there's some more improvement overall in the system, the segregation has gotten rather severe. The public system is where the most poor students go and, and the voucher supported go elsewhere. So I think those are the, the kind of balancing that are um, an implication of how you design these things. These design details matter as to whether or not we end up serving public goals as well as in, individuals. What about the what about the potential of seeing more partnerships to to help some of these schools out than the, the school districts more specifically uh, with with the corporate community in in some of these areas, Michael? Well, I think that's already happening. I mean, look at a place in Philadelphia. Speaking with a with a uh, one of the school leaders there recently, and they're always scrambling. You know, good creative principals and uh, assistant superintendents and others have been regularly and teachers have been regularly scrambling to get support from outside the system and doing various kinds of partnerships. Um, and I think that's that's a longstanding tradition for a lot of these organizations, uh, for a lot of districts. Um, the real challenge, I think, that it's, it's not going to be sufficient to overcome uh, the more systematic kinds of, of differences and choices that parents have in different areas of the country. Rebecca, going back to a question I asked a second ago, where are you on, on the potential of, of change within the curriculum uh, for some of these uh, kids to, to better adjust them for, for when they're heading into college? Certainly. And, and I think pre preparation for skilled employment or higher education is one of our goals for public education. But I am really concerned that we're losing some other equally important goals for public education, like preparation for good citizenship. And I think that sure. the last election really demonstrated that our emphasis on test scores and test scores alone have led to students who are unable to sort through media to decide what's, what's actually evidence, what's true, and what's fake news. Um, so I, I am concerned that we're losing some of these other skills, our ability to listen to each other, to talk across different um, ideas when we disagree. Um, and I think that if we just focus on preparation for work and, and 
certainly having partners from the corporate sector can be very helpful, but they may not necessarily attend to those other goals in the same sort of way, nor should they. That's not their main goal. So I do think it's important for us to think about the, the robust nature of public education to ensure that we're thinking about citizenship, the arts, um, ability to get along with each other, some of these other skills, sometimes which are more important. With what you've seen there in, in the state of Michigan and probably heard from many people, uh, do you think that, that Ms. DeVos could be a good education secretary? I think that I have, uh, you know, time will tell and okay. we will see exactly what happens. Um, I will be disappointed if we pursue vouchers uh, to private schools because of what we've both referenced before, the increasing segregation, the concentration of the most media students into the um, the public sector, and what that will look like for our system of public education. So, you know, if that's the direction that um, they actually end up going, as, you know, they've talked about, I guess I will be really disappointed. Michael? I, I mean, I agree with those as the dangers, because I think that, you know, they're not that many private institutions, private institutions could be looking at the trade-off between funding and the kind of regulatory burden that they might experience. And um, I think it's legitimate for a public, for the public to say, look, we're, yes, we want this child to get educated. We want this child also to be this participating citizen uh, and well-rounded individual that we will inherit as, as a future citizen, as an adult. Um, and so how do you balance those? And, you know, some of the first choice schools uh, in the most recent era have come out of, came out of just after Brown, uh, when districts decided it was a way to maintain segregation. Right. Um, and so we've got to remember that, that we need to protect the public interest and have that conversation as to how we understand that, how will we, we regulate it. I, can I, I yep. just add, too, to, to sort of build on that? I think it's important to not only protect public interest, but protect the public's ability to have some say and some form of accountability in the system. And if we move to a privatized system, the accountability rests with the parents. It is very hard for um, somebody who doesn't have a child you know, in the system currently or, um, you know, not directly involved in a particular school to exercise any sort of accountability or demands for change. And so I think we need to be cautious about whether or not we're willing to give up that, that public accountability and instead shift either to being focused only on serving the needs of the parents in that school or to even potentially shareholders. And is, is that who we're going to be looking to to say, okay, are we doing good enough here? And, and I guess because of the fact that in many public Public school systems uh, in Philadelphia and Chicago and some areas, the, those schools end up being very important pieces to the community. And to lose that little bit of, uh, of importance uh, ends up being a, a rather significant negative effect that, uh, that, you know, many cities are already dealing with a lot of negatives. You don't need to add two or three more on top of that, correct? I think that's absolutely true. I mean, um, I think these are institutions that are if we think about how many institutions we have left that we look at as, as operating in this kind of public space, um, um, there are very few. And I think uh, this has been a function of public schools as well in the communities. And it's one that in lots of communities around the country, we would not imagine uh, pulling that away from the function of that, that institution. However, here, and, in, and again, it tends to be in areas that are, that are uh, least served now by the current system, where we're most willing to have this kind of uh, wild Midwest uh, kind of format uh, um, that will allow this kind of closure and opening without regard to the stability of the community and the kinds of ties and development that can occur through it. The other part to it, Michael, is obviously the teachers themselves that are in a lot of these schools, and, and obviously they, uh, they, they cannot be happy with uh, 
the potential push towards a voucher system because more parents, obviously, as you both have alluded to, will look to put their kids in a in a private or parochial school, and that takes away from the numbers of students that end up being in the public system, and that obviously will end up taking away the number of jobs that are in in these school districts as well. Well, potentially, although, you know, I think I mean, public educators that I know are quite willing to be in a, in a, if you will, an openly competitive kind of situation, and many of them already are. Uh, people can move from one district. People who have the means can move from one place to another and so right. forth. Um, I think what they, they want is to make sure that that, that uh, is on a level playing field if we're going to go in that direction. Um, and I think the other, though, is a larger issue of how active do we want this profession to be? When we look at ourselves internationally, one of the things that's distinctive about the U.S. is the degree to which uh, teaching is not regarded as, a, as the kind of profession that it is in other places, with, a, with an infrastructure, with a ladder, and so forth. I mean, I think that's, um, and, and having control over its own profession to a greater degree, um, I think that's a, you know, how attractive are we need to look at the impact of these reforms coming forward as how more likely is this to attract the kind of talent that we really want to have affecting our kids. Rebecca, I guess, and I'm sure it's done in, with a lot of school districts, that they're always looking for the, the the way to be able to improve themselves, whether that be coming from another school district here in the United States or whether it be coming from uh, some new idea that, that's coming from overseas. You know, certainly I think that... Um it's really a mistake to think that our schools and our teachers and our school leaders have not been working very hard to try to improve the quality of education. And unfortunately, what we often hear in the news is the the cases of some of the the worst rather than some of the best. Um, and that that's certainly not unique to education. And so I do worry about further demoralizing a public education system, the teachers especially. Will we be able to attract the best and brightest? And also, even if we attract the best and brightest, will they be equipped to be strong and excellent educators for all children? Um, you know, if we move to a voucher system and private schools are no longer required to hire um, faculty that meet certain state obligations for teacher licensure, what does that really mean that teachers might be prepared to do? Certainly some people who are brilliant can be excellent teachers, but we know there's a lot more to being a good teacher than, than just knowing the content yourself. We're joined on the phone by Rebecca Jacobson of Michigan State University. Michael Johannick here of the University of Pennsylvania. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio, B-I-Z, radio, 111, or my Twitter account, which is at danloney21. We're talking about the potential nomination of uh, Betsy DeVos as Education Secretary in the Trump administration, 844-942-7866. Eight six six is the number to give us a call right now. Just uh, Michael, your reaction to a comment made by former Florida Governor Jeb Bush about uh, Miss DeVos talking about saying that she would be a great pick because her allegiance was to families and not necessarily the schools. I think we've kind of discussed the fact that that having that allegiance, if that is your primary goal, the families over the schools that it ends up being having quite a few potential negative uh, negative co- uh, impacts as, as well, it, it has to be kind of working both sides of the fence. Well, true. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, uh, I mean, look, it, it seems evident from her own background that this is somebody very much committed as an, as an advocate to, to the cause and so forth. And so, you know, to her credit in terms of persistence in that area. But the reality is that a publicly funded education has public outcomes that we seek for it. Um, and in addition to, uh, so that, that 
that's part of the accountability and the transparency. And I, and I would echo the concern before, once we get into particularly for-profit sectors and others, um, it's, it's hard to have that transparency. Um, we expect public education to produce uh, and to help us reproduce the democratic republic that we enjoy. Um, that's a serious obligation, and it was part of the origins of the system. Uh, was when there was this concern. I mean, we talk about the polarization of the current era, and a lot of times there's been comparison of it to the going back to just the, the uh, period just after the Civil War and the level of, of, of polarization that existed. Well, it was in that era that the con- part of the driver of the common schools was to say, you know, we need to hold this thing together. We need to uh, uh, build common citizenry. And uh, that is not necessarily what every parent is looking for. And so it's a balancing of those interests. Um, and someone needs to have that ability to to maintain that accountability for public ends. Rebecca? I would just, you know, really agree that our public education system is not just to serve parents. And, uh, you know, I, I was a classroom teacher, and parents would come in, and they very much wanted to talk about their child, as they should. Mm-hmm. However, as a classroom teacher... I had to sometimes say, but that's not going to work for my class of students. I am responsible for all of them. And I think that that really plays out at the macro level if we think about only being accountable to parents. Um, that's a very different type of education system than and what parents are going to demand and want, rightfully, than if we think about being accountable to the public. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. So uh, as we kind of wrap this up, uh, I it, there obviously are some concerns, Rebecca, that, that you hold on this going forward. Uh, if you're kind of laying out a game plan for what really needs to be addressed going forward and some of the things obviously you talked about, what do you think are the most important things that we really need to look at to improve our public education system going forward? I think that we really need to maintain it in the public sector. I think that uh, choice can really be beneficial, can be helpful, and has a role, um, but it needs to be governed properly, and it re- needs to remain public. So public charter schools um, have certainly demonstrated that they can be outstanding, and I think we should really look to places like New Orleans where um, oversight and governance and concerted efforts to make sure that all children are served equitably um, can really make a difference, and that's where we should be looking at the devil's in the details. How can we create good policy that makes sure the system works well? Michael? I, I would agree entirely. Um, I would say I would say the devil's in the details, and we need to tend to the evidence. Um, you know, recent work on vouchers indicates some of the challenges that it has. It hasn't necessarily led to achievement gains. Um, it may have a positive effect on competitive pressures. Um, we need to look at the details and see how those affect our different ends. I think what I would add to the to the good list um, that Rebecca just mentioned the um, strengthening of the profession. We need to continue to draw people who see this as uh, a profession that they want to grow in. Um, and it's it's hard to us imagine. Uh, supplying talent to the medical profession or legal profession in the same way that we have often envisioned for education uh, and to look for the kind of results that we want, uh, the kind of complicated outcomes and high-level international mm-hmm. outcomes we want. So I would, I would add that as however we do these governance kind of reform, what kind of impact is it going to have on the attractiveness of the profession to sustain itself and grow? Great to have you both with us. Uh, wish you all the best in the holidays. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All the best. Uh, Michael Johannick from the University of Pennsylvania, Rebecca Jacobson from Michigan State University. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.